you know, at the end of Lab 31, we talked a little bit about political burnout, but I think we were just really playing it a little too cute. I think it's time to call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm dropping the cloak of shame. And I'm here to say your girl is burnt out. Yes, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm constantly tired. I feel like I go to sleep tired and I wake up tired and all day. I'm just tired. And the news doesn't help being quarantined and working from home. For some folks, not working from home because they lost their jobs. Right. And then the pressure just to level up during quarantine. I saw that meme at the beginning of quarantine where it was like, okay, that business idea you had, now you got the time to do it. I was like, this is a lot of pressure. I've heard you describe this as a life avalanche. Everything's just piling up. Yeah, you feel like you have so many balls in the air and then they all just come crashing down at some point. Well, it's time to talk about burnout. It's impacting us in so many different ways. Let's get into it. I'm Titi. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. Let's really get into all the different types of burnout that we have been experiencing just in this year. I don't know if it's our generation or what, but there's, it's just like every free moment you have, you should be dedicating it to some type of grind and you can sleep when you're dead. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I feel like this is going <laughs> to kill me too soon. Well, that just means that this episode couldn't have come at a better time. In this lab, we're talking all about burnout. So let's get into the recitation. What do we know? We know burnout is not unique to me and you. No. I'm having lots of conversations. I see everybody else talking about it. People are exhausted. Especially now, I think, since everybody's at home and quarantining and social distancing, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about it more because for the folks that are at home and working, they're like, okay, I am living at work now. Mm-hmm. And then folks that have kids, I don't know how y'all are doing it. I really don't. I also feel like there are levels to burnout. You know, sometimes I get burned out on a specific topic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get burned out on a whole platform. Like I'm done with Instagram. Right. I'm just tired of it. Folks will be like, oh, I'm taking a break from Instagram. I'm tired of seeing people only posting like the best part of themselves. And it's making me feel bad about myself. So they get burnt out on Instagram. Uh, social media burnout. Yeah. Or like some people will be like, oh, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to watch the news anymore. The news burnout is real. Burnout's just the big umbrella. Where do you feel it the most, see? Mm, I feel it with work. Just because all the uncertainty and the role I have, I face a lot of people, right? So incoming grad students, I don't know what's happening. I want to be able to give them complete information. So then I feel almost like in limbo, like where I have all these tasks, these things I need to get done, but I don't have all the information I need. And these people are waiting on Mm -hmm. me and these other people are expecting to hear from me. And it feels like a lot to manage at the same time. And I don't want to let anybody down, but I also don't want to give people incorrect information, you know? And so it puts me in this really tricky position. If you're listening on the Spotify app, you have the opportunity to tell us exactly how you're feeling and what you're burning out on. On our episode page, there's a poll that you can take right now. And we want to hear what you're burning out on. What do we want to know? 
what is burnout? I know these feelings, but like, what is it? Yeah. Is this something that a doctor can say, I'm going to diagnose you with burnout? Like, what are the symptoms of it? And what are the causes of it? And, you know, you raised a really good point. You said, is this something that's just specific to our generation? My grandma was never burned out. (laughs) Or at least she never said it. So what happened? Am I just built weak? I feel like we got a lot more responsibility now. I feel like back then you could just, you know, live off the land. But now you got to do all this extra stuff and everybody's expecting you to be, you know, president of the United States and also own 12 businesses and make sure your hair look good. And you got that crooked tooth. Don't forget to fix that. I don't got enough time or space or energy to do it all. And I don't know how you spent your summers, but living off the land is hard. Have you ever tried to make (laughs) sauerkraut from 30 heads of cabbage and one hoe? Just chopping. It's hard. My friend has done it all. She's done it all. Uh, You just don't want to be a pioneer woman. I'm burnt out. Let's jump into the dissection. Our guest for today's lab is Dr. Anne Helen Peterson. My name is Anne Helen Peterson. I have my PhD in media studies from the University of Texas. And my book is called Can't Even How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Dr. Peterson's book takes a deep dive into understanding the origins and signs of burnout and connecting it to American capitalism and parenting. And our first question was, how does she define burnout? You hit the wall, you work so hard for so long, but instead of collapsing and stopping what you're doing, you scale the wall and then you keep going some more. You just keep going with that low-grade exhaustion as the background to every component of your life. So it's similar to hitting the wall while you're running a marathon and your body basically like shuts down and they'll be running and then all of a sudden their legs, it's like their legs don't work and they'll hit the ground, but then they'll they'll still be trying to run. And every time they try and stand up, they just fall back down. So basically they're zombies and we are too. Yes. So our next question is, What causes burnout? The foundation of our current form of burnout is precarity. Precarity is defined as the state of having insecure employment or income. And that means precarity in your standing in American society, economic precarity, social precarity, just constantly being worried in many different capacities about, you know, your safety, your financial safety, what's going to happen with your kids, all these sorts of things. And we resort to all sorts of coping mechanisms and behaviors in order to counteract that lack of safety net. This is realer than ever. As a Black woman in America, existing during this time where so many people are without homes, without jobs, in our current political climate, so many unknowns, that can cause a lot of stress. And a little stress here and there, that's fine. But the thing about burnout is that it feels like chronic stress. It just keeps going on and on. Right. You're building up a big burnout house with all these stress bricks. So precarity, that feeling of insecurity, is what triggers the behaviors that lead to burnout. Dr. Peterson told us that surveillance at work can be another thing that triggers burnout. This can be anything from regular check-ins to documentation of daily activities to cameras in the workplace. We're supposed to have all these tools like digital things to help us stay on task and to keep track. But sometimes those things 
almost feel like surveillance, like you're being monitored and tracked as you do your work. If your boss is regularly checking in, wanting you to document your daily activities. Micromanaging you. Keep your camera on on Zoom so I can see you all day working. No way. I got PJs on. Mm, Not if you work with me. I want everybody (laughs) to be relaxed. Don't turn that camera on. I don't need to see it. There are these modes of surveillance that are supposed to be there in order to like incentivize productivity or I don't know, like there's just this underlying thesis to them that workers are lazy and will always do bad things. Dr. Peterson told us about studies that show a lower quality of work from people who are working under surveillance. So it's actually doing the opposite of what it's meant to do in the first place. And she says that has a lot to do with this internalized anxiety about being watched. So when you take all these things together, the insecurity, the surveillance, all of this just sets the stage for burnout. And and we really want to know, what are some indicators that you might be burned out? Burnout behaviors, what are they? So one of the the biggest ones, and our parents adopted this as well in the 70s and 80s, is you just work more, right? If you work harder, Mm -hmm. if you work longer hours, if you try to prove yourself in some capacity, then maybe you'll find that stability. But when that stability is elusive and you just keep working, you know, that's burnout. Another burnout behavior might be this desire to totally check out. Maybe it's Love Island or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Or in Dr. Peterson's case, I got really into the super dumb Candy Crush style game. And I would play it like at all the points when I would rather be like, oh, I should go take a walk. Or I should, you know, just cook something or I should read a book like I this fiction book that has been on my nightstand that I really want to read and be like, no, I really need to play my game. I found myself going back to it because I was craving that sort of numb, broad space. I think we all do that. My friend has her own. (laughs) What's your game, TT? Tell the world. (laughs) She's trying to out me and embarrass me, but. I stand by this game. I've been playing it for very many years, and it is called Smurf Village. My friend has been playing Smurfs since grad school. and I love them very much. They work very hard, and um, I work very hard as well to build these different villages (laughs) all over and even on different planets, you know? It gets like that. So now you tell the folks what you've been playing since grad school. I've been playing Township, (laughs) which is like this farm game where you plant crops, you (laughs) have factories, you, you know, feed your cows. The cows make milk. You collect the milk. You take the milk to the dairy factory. You make cheese. You use the cheese that you're also using to make (laughs) cheeseburgers over here in the fast food restaurant. And then you sell those things, right? You're doing all this stuff. I didn't even recognize that as burnout. I thought I was just bored and needed something else to do. I didn't either until we talked to Dr. Peterson. And it was clear as day. When I'm the most stressed, when I have the most things on my plate and I feel overwhelmed. Smurf village. Cows, I'm here to milk you. But I think the the big thing about it for me was instead of getting mad at myself, I was just like, I see this. I see what my body and my mind is asking for. And how can I start to slowly change some things so that I don't need this game anymore? But the thing is, playing Angry Birds or Smurf Village for an hour might help you escape. But it's not necessarily relaxing. It's just throwing a blanket over the atomic bomb. 
Dr. Peterson says instead of going after that numb feeling, what might be more helpful in decreasing burnout is cultivating a new hobby. What a real hobby can do is give you that that mindless space, right? It can be something that you are dedicated for, that you are not optimizing for anyone else, but that you are just like out there doing the weeding, you know, Um, depending on whatever your hobby is. But a lot of us have failed or lost that capacity to seek that space in hobbies. My recent hobby has been gardening. And if you go on our Instagram, you can see me and my friend Zakia when she came over to my house, masked, of course. And we did some gardening in my yard. It didn't go well. It went Actually, it went very well. But there were parts where I didn't know what I was doing and I almost hurt myself. But you made it out alive. Riding my bike, that's my hobby. I'm out here. Add me on Strava. I love it. My friend be hitting it. It's so freeing. Yeah, it's great to like get outside, get some fresh air and do some things that, you know, aren't related to work that just make you happy. But sometimes I feel guilty about having these hobbies. Yeah, sometimes when I'm doing stuff like that, I feel like, you should be working or you should be, you know, doing something else. You should be reading the Wall Street Journal or the dictionary, learning some new words. I'm like, ah. Right. How did we get to this point? We asked Dr. Peterson about the history of burnout and how we as a society got here. So a lot of millennials, grandparents, maybe their grand, great-grandparents, the people who came out of World War II, they enjoyed this brief period that's sometimes referred to as like the golden age of American capitalism, where a lot of people working class people were able to join the middle class. And then that starts to fade away. There's a series of like mini recessions in the 70s and 80s. And these people who had grown up in this golden age of American capitalism, they turn into adults and they enter the workplace and they're like, well, I have to either finally reach the middle class if my parents hadn't done that or sustain my place in the middle class. And I'm so desperate for that, that I'm going to start working all the time. And I'm going to try to instill in my kids this attitude that they need to work all the time. So this is our parents' fault. (laughs) (laughs) And our grannies and grandpa's fault. I don't know that my family was middle class coming out of World War II. But I also don't feel like I had this attitude that we had to work all the time. Do you feel like you, your parents instilled that? My parents worked a lot. Like my mom had two jobs. My dad, Mm -hmm. um, he worked a lot. He had one job, but he worked a lot. I don't know if they ever explicitly said, you have to work hard. I think he was just like leading by example. I think working hard was valued, but it seemed like our parents worked hard, but they also seemed like they worked hard and it was effortless. Like they worked hard and every weekend we went to my grandma's house. We drove a long way and we like, I'm tired. Aren't you tired? When I look back at it, I'm like, yeah, how are you going to work and then talking to me right <laughs> after By my work. age my mother pretty much had three kids i couldn't imagine just having my little chihuahua daisy is stressing me out and so i guess now present day we're using them as our models for what we should be doing and that means to run ourselves ragged slowly over the course of our lifetimes in the 80s and 90s transform childhood into something that used to be like a a space for play and imagination and personality formation into, for a lot of people, one long series of resume building activities. And that can be really, really hard when you just think of yourself as a resume instead of like as a person with a soul and a heart and all those things. Then you get these 80s babies and these parents who grew up 
with like more economic mobility. I mean, we see it. You know, parents are like, once you graduate from college, you should have a job. And I'm like, that's not how it not works. Not anymore. I know plenty of people with degrees and degrees and still no job, right? Or Lots of degrees, all the degrees, still can't get a job. Or these jobs that don't value the work that they're doing. And so I think some of this is around what the economy and what the workforce looked like for our parents' generations. And then they project those expectations on you. And you're like, nah. There is this particular millennial experience that is represented as universal. And there are so many different ways to be a millennial. And just because burnout is kind of the unifying experience, there are different ways that they came to that point. And a lot of it has to do with who your parents were and how they decided to raise you, but also stuff like urban and rural backgrounds. Like, are you a first-generation immigrant? Like, all sorts of stuff. So the millennial generation goes from people being born in 1981 to people born in 1996. I was born in 1987. I don't have nothing in common with something somebody that was born in 1996. <laughs> I mean, we, we laugh and joke about our differences, and it's only two years, T.T., Exactly. Because it's like we grew up in two different states. Mm -hmm. We have uh, parents that were in different fields. Like we had different interests. Like my millennial and your millennial are not the same. So the things that may stress me out and cause me to burn out later might not be the same for you. Or, you know, not even for maybe the same times, the same people in the same house, like even your siblings, like just your birth order may change things. Your relationship with your parents may change things, you know? And I think what we forget is layering these identities, right? And how those burnouts can stack up. Absolutely. There's so much nuance when it comes to burnout. Let's take a break. And then we're going to talk about specific industries and types of jobs that are most at risk for burning out. We're back. So we've already talked about the origins of burnout and how to recognize it when it's happening. We asked Dr. Ann Helen Peterson if there are any particular industries that are especially vulnerable to worker burnout. And it came as no surprise that academia and higher education are at the top of the list. There's just so many different ways that the precarity of academia right now is coming to bear on people. And I think that some people at this point in their lives in their you know mid-late 30s are like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. That's such a good point. And even within higher education, there is nuance in there and the types of burnout that a person can experience. Like if you're talking about a faculty member, professor, the burnout that they may experience is going to be very different from a student who, you know, has multiple classes and things like that. Right. And they may not know, are they still having classes? What do they do about tuition? All of those things lead to that same kind of insecurity. And like we said earlier, Insecurity is a trigger of burnout, and that insecurity can take many forms, including an inconsistent schedule. I cite a lot of research from work that's been done on retail workers and how things like the lack of an advanced schedule can lead to so many different types of burnout. And part of that is just like if you think about your life and you have no ability to schedule it, like psychologically that's hard, but it also makes everything else in your life hard, like scheduling childcare when you don't get your schedule until a week in advance. This really makes me think about the gig economy. Mm. 
Like this idea of just stitching all these jobs together to create enough income to live. The amount of money that they're making per month can vary from month to month. That can be very stressful. Yeah, and even just when the work has to be done, right? It's different if you know you have a nine to five every day and you're just blocking that nine to five off. Having that schedule consistently can be useful. But if you don't have a schedule and you're just at somebody else's whim, and so you just don't have any ability to really plan what your days are going to look like. And that can wear you down. How can you like try to have a steady social life where, <laughs> where you can cultivate meaningful relationships or hobbies when, again, you don't have a steady schedule? Dr. Peterson says that industries that are super specialized can also be a risk. What I was really surprised where there's a lot of burnout is zookeeping. There's a great academic paper on this that zookeepers, like a lot of other professions that attract people who are, they can't think of themselves as doing anything else, right? A zookeeper really, really, really wants to be a zookeeper. And a lot of academics show that as well, but, you know, doctors, some like librarians, teachers, this sort of thing. And because it is such a desirable job in a lot of ways, their passion can be exploited and means that there are few positions and those positions oftentimes are not that well paid. But they stay with the job even as they get more and more exploited and have less and less stability because it is a calling. It's something that they feel like they have to do. This felt like what we saw in Tiger King. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Joe Exotic, Lord knows he loved those animals, and he was very broke. And so was, you remember that other guy that they showed, and he was training those young women up. Uh, They were definitely being exploited. mm -hmm. Doc Antle, okay? Doc Antle was doing the same thing, exploiting those folks. That woman was saying she wasn't even getting paid. They had to work all these long, crazy hours, and it was like, oh, it's because you're the only person, you're passionate, you're the only person that can save these tigers, That's wild. And I mean, we see that with our teachers Mm -hmm. right now. And even like, we're always saying teachers aren't getting paid enough, but they still continue to not be paid enough. Right. Even though they deserve to be paid more. And teachers are usually, nine times out of 10, people who are very dedicated to their students and they can't see themselves as anything else. Like most teachers, they stay teachers 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And they continue to take this this low pay because they're being, you know, exploited for their the love of their work. Yeah. Dr. Peterson also says there's another group that we might not be thinking about, and that's parents. You know, the thing that I keep coming back to, and I'm not a parent myself, and part of the book is about why, but um, is there are these stats at looking at how much labor women are putting in in the home and how since women went back to, like, went en masse into the workplace— in the 1960s and 70s, the amount of work that women do in the home, so the amount of work that they do in the home and also taking care of children, supervising children, instead of going down, as you would expect, it has actually gone up. And that, I think, is in particular is why a lot of women who are in partnerships or women who are parents in particular are feeling exhaustion so acutely. Because of gender inequality, there is a different load that women bear in the household when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it means that they are unable to participate in the workforce at the same levels. We have some additional information about that in the show notes. 39% of the workforce is women, but of people that have lost jobs after the coronavirus, 54% Mm. are women. Yeah, being a woman, they expect so much more of you 
as a person, like you need to be able to work and then also take care of your family. But then they also hold you back within the workforce because you are a woman. Like it doesn't make sense at all. Another group of people that we need to consider are folks that are lower income. When you don't have money to throw out a problem in this society, it just compounds even more. So when you're so tired from working all the time, do you want to go to the store, make a meal with fresh vegetables that takes a long time and that maybe your kids won't eat? Or do you want to take five minutes, go through that drive through and get something right away that you know that your kids are going to eat? And I think we oftentimes judge those decisions as like bad decisions when what they are is they're exhausted decisions. Or even under-resourced decisions. Exactly. You know how expensive it is to get fresh fruits and vegetables and all the nutritious stuff? Our society isn't set up for low-income people to have good nutrition. And don't even get us started on the things that are in place if you need help getting mm-hmm. food and how it actually limits you from really high nutritional value foods. Right. And that's actually the topic of our next lab. We are talking all about food systems and we actually want to hear from you. What did you see missing from your food system when the pandemic hit? Call us at 202-567-7028 and leave a message to let us know. So when you consider all this stuff, all these different ways you can be burned out, what do you do when you are burned out? How do you douse those flames? You know, I try to resist in the book giving any sort of like list of things that you can do because I think oftentimes what we as millennials have done is we've sought out ways to to fix whatever part of us we see as broken in terms of like our ability to work all the time. So we're like, how can I get unburnt out so that I can work more, right? Which is like, that's the problem is that you want to fix yourself to work more when really the solution almost all of the time, is figuring out how you can work less. I talk about this all the time. Like part of my time management and kind of self-management is I schedule these little blocks of like 15 minutes just to do nothing. That's not a lot of time. It's in the middle of the day. It's so useful. And I don't, I'm not apologizing for it. No, and you shouldn't, friend. So for me to battle burnout, what I try and do is be very, very, uh, strict about what my cutoff time is for when I'm going to be like, okay, this is TT time. Like I'm not doing anything else. I'm thinking about me. So that means that from, you know, 6.30 to 7.30, I'm doing all the things that I want to do, the things that make me happy, whether that's reading a book, gardening, or, you know, calling my sisters or whatever, whatever it is, it's TT time. So, and I don't let anybody encroach on TT time. One of the things that Dr. Peterson also said is that you can't fix burnout alone. You know, this is a system. And this is the kind of message of the book is that it's not about us making any personal changes. Although there are small things you can do and you can recognize about yourself. We have to vote and act and talk and believe as a society that we want everyone to be less burnt out. And we need to elect leaders who want to put protections in place, who want to make it so that someone can, you know, work 40 hours and still survive in America. Like there are all of these different ways that we can restitch that safety net and it's going to take massive societal effort and it's not going to happen at once. But we just have to admit, like, it doesn't have to be this way. We can change it. All of us are struggling. Everybody is struggling with burnout right now. And so we just need to take that into account that even if somebody has a nasty attitude directly to you in an email and it's work, sometimes you just got to be like, 
I don't know what's going on at home for them. Some of the indicators for burnout are also indicators for other things. And, and you know, burnout is not a pure medical condition. Like, it's not a classified medical condition or diagnosis. Right. But it's linked to other mental health concerns, right? Like depression. Anxiety. And so I think we always want to check in. So if you're feeling particularly burnt out and you're feeling like it's affecting you more mentally than anything else, definitely try and reach out to somebody that you can talk to. Um, Talkspace.com is a great resource. This isn't an ad. Um, These are just resources that we know of. But definitely try and reach out to somebody and talk about the things that you're experiencing. I have to say, you know, TT, I'm really grateful for you because I think you're really good at making me stop and think and not overload myself with things to do. Lots of people come into lots of situations trying to be a superhero. Like, yes, I can handle this. Yes, I can handle this. And we always want to say yes, because we don't want to like block an opportunity and we don't want to make it seem like, oh, I can't handle the pressure. But that's not what it is. Like sometimes your plate is legit full. And in order to give 100% to something and give the highest quality work, you need the time and you need the space. And we need to start granting ourselves that space. That's it for Lab 32, but we have so much more for you to dig into on our website. So head on over to dopelabspodcast.com. Or not, you need the rest, friend. On our website, you can find a cheat sheet for today's lab, along with a ton of other links and resources in the show notes. And if you want to stay in the know with what's going on with Dope Labs, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter on our site, too. No pressure, though. You don't got to do any of this. Get you some rest. <laughs> Special thanks to our guest expert, Dr. Ann Helen Peterson. Her book, Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, is available now wherever books are sold. You can find even more links to her work in our show notes. But you don't got to go there if you don't want to. Also, we love hearing from you. What did you think about today's lab? Do you have ideas for future labs? Call us at 202-567-7028 and let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter at DR underscore T-S-H-O. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. Follow us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Dope Labs is produced by Jenny Radlett-Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Mixing and sound design are by Hannes Brown. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura with additional music by Elijah LX Harvey. Dope Labs is a production of Spotify and Megaome Media Group. And it's executive produced by us, Titi Shodia and Zakia Watley. You want to know another one of my favorite is really fun um, mindless games? What? Bumble. Isn't Bumble a a dating app? But it's like a game. Swipe left, <laughs> swipe oh, right. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this clown! Match never text.